Hey, this is Tommy Phillips, pastor of Watermark. Uh, first off, thank you all for listening. I know a lot of you are out there, uh, not in Tampa, and you are listening from afar, wherever you are in our country or in the world. I want to thank you for listening, first off. And second, I wanted to offer you guys an opportunity to give as well. Um, people reach out to us and are asking how they can help. Um, this is a simple way. Um, we're a, a relatively young church, and we are self-sustained, and things get rather expensive. So if you, uh, if you are interested in helping us out by giving, our website is watermarktampa.com slash give. You can go there to give, or you can just text the word give to 904-474-8062. Thank you very much. Grace and peace. Uh, today we'll be reading from Romans 13, uh, 1 through 7. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right for you, and you will be commended. For the one who, for the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are servants of God, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. There it is necessary to submit to the one in authority, not only because of the possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone that you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Good morning. Hello, Watermark. My name is Sam. I'm one of the uh, part of the leadership here. Uh, Pastor Tommy is gone uh, this morning. Uh, so I'm your substitute preacher uh, today. Uh, I hope everyone had a good 4th of July. Uh, mine went well, except I lost my glasses. Uh, and uh, it was like my first time actually at uh, Wikiwachi, and I you know, took a dive, and I should have held on to my glasses, but by, by the time I put my hands there, it was gone. And so for the rest of the day, I didn't have my glasses, and I just relied on my children and my wife for everything. <laughs> And we were with a group of friends, and it was super awkward, so I had to remember not to stare for, in one area for long. So I was going, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, which I actually learned playing uh, Jesus like 15 years ago. I, I was in a passion play at a, a youth camp. At, you all right? Asian Jesus. Um, and uh, the, the director who had, who had a theater background, he was like, we can't have you wearing glasses. You have to take that off because, you know, glasses, Jesus wearing glasses, that's insane. <laughs> and uh, and he, so he's the one who taught me, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. And then afterwards, I've heard that someone, someone was like, after the passion play, I was like, oh, I was so impacted by it. It's like, it's like he was looking right at me <laughs> into my soul. And I'm like, no, lady, I just couldn't see. I was just blind. <laughs> All right. So uh, we're going to go into uh, Romans 13 this morning. Um, 
It was actually, uh, I think it was about three weeks ago, it was quoted by uh, Attorney General uh, Jeff Sessions to justify separating these children from uh, the parents who are coming to America and the southern border. Um, He said, uh, obey the laws of the government because God has ordained them for the purpose of order. Orderly and lawful processes are good in themselves and protect the weak and lawful. And, And he went on to say separating families because of this is justified. So did Sessions, uh, who is the top law enforcement officer and lawyer for the government, write on this? Um, Is that what the Bible really teach? Um, To obey the laws of the government of the land, and was Sessions correct to use this passage to defend the government's actions? And so this morning, we're going to look at what Paul meant by this passage and, and try to bring some clarity into this. And so, before I get into this, I do want to uh, preface the sermon uh, with this reminder. And that it's very easy for us to get caught up in this craziness with social media and the news. And and we lose our focus on Jesus. Um, It's fine to get upset. It's okay to get angry. However, we cannot drink from the same political poison uh, that this world has to offer, that breeds hostility, that breeds hatred on all sides, and we cannot let ourselves be blinded by this ideology. And so it's fine for you, know, you to have opinions. It's fine for people to have opinions on policy, what we should do with immigration, for borders and security, because that's all legitimate. That's all concern of the government. But I want to remind you in the midst of those conversations that our allegiance is to Jesus, and we should never forget that we're to love God and our neighbors, and that includes enemies and so on, and, and those who are sort of south of the border as well. So let's pray and sort of get into this. Uh, Father, thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you, Lord, for uh, your community. Um, help us not to see with human political uh, eyes and prejudice, but with your eyes and your heart. And I ask you, oh, Father, as we, as we uh, dive into this passage, teach us to love and to honor you and to love my neighbor. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right. So to defend this zero tolerance policy and separating children from their parents, uh, Attorney General Sessions uh, quoted uh, Romans 13 that we are to obey the laws uh, of the government and bringing up uh, that passage. Now, lots of people were just commenting online that the attorney general just doesn't understand this passage or the context, or there's other people on the other side saying, hey, this is the same passage that was used by Nazi Germany, that was the same passage used during slavery, and tons of pastors got on Twitter that day and Facebook to just do some PR, I guess. Um, Believe it or not, though, this actually is the standard go-to passage since the Roman Empire became Christian, to tell people you have to submit to your government. And throughout history, it was used as an argument to justify the actions of the governing authorities, including war. Uh, Many times it was traditionally appealed in order to support the God-ordained role of the state to wield the sword. And it follows that if the Christian is enlisted in the state, a God-ordained structure, then the Christian would be exempt from the law against murder when he is in battle. And that way your conscience is clear. You didn't do anything wrong because you're just a tool of the Almighty. And that was the thought. Even Martin Luther used this passage to justify the violence of oppression against uh, peasants uprising. 
uh, in a piece he wrote called Against the Murderous Thieving Hordes of Peasants. It's a very, it just rolls off the tongue. Could be like a rap album or a heavy metal. I actually don't know. He justified it in there that princes and lords had the right and authority to punish and quoted Romans 13 that all authorities are appointed by God and should not be resisted. Other kings and queens utilized this passage in the past. It was used during the apartheid uh, in South Africa to justify institutional racism and, and discrimination. Uh, in America in the 40s and 50s, 1840s and 50s, uh, there was a thing called Fugitive Slave Act, which required people to return slaves who escaped uh, north back to their masters. Uh, there were several hundred slaves escaping to the north every year, uh, and this was passed in a response to penalize those who were not cooperating. And so uh, even in those anti-slavery movement, they, you know, they took this on as a God's moral law, and they resisted because they believed God's moral law took precedence over what government ordained, and they would participate in civil disobedience, whatever the consequences may have been. Uh, slaves would also hear their owners repeat this passage to argue from the Bible that they were to obey. And at the same time, however, they sensed hope uh, and that God was on their side, identifying with the people of Israel that was enslaved by Egypt and a hope of the promised land. And they clearly saw that the Bible was very much for the enslaved, uh, for the oppressed and the destitute. Probably Jeff Sessions believes in his heart uh, that the Bible is on his side, as he's quoting uh, Romans, this passage. And I don't think he's being disingenuous. So, but when he quoted Romans 13 to defend the separation, you have to realize he wasn't the first, and he probably isn't the last uh, to do this. Historically, the ones that use this passage are the ones with power to use it to oppress another group, and historically have been shown uh, to be on the wrong side. So many find it used to defend what may seem immoral throughout history. It's difficult to understand how this fits with the gospel. Uh, when we come across passages like this, there is an obligation, I think, for us as Christians, community, to dive in and, and, and understand why it was written, the context surrounding it, because it's very easy for us in this information age just to dismiss it and move forward with our lives. Some of us might be just dismissing it because it's, it doesn't sort of uh, work with our current system of beliefs. Here's the thing. We all follow the law. We want murderers and thieves to be brought to justice. You pay your taxes because it's better for a society to work together in an agreed-upon system uh, against what it, or for what is right and wrong and, and to make sure there's consequences for wrongdoers because no one wants to live in this sort of nation without laws. Um, as I was writing this, I saw a trailer for the movie Purge, which sounds like a terrible, terrible idea, which basically the idea is that one day of the year, annually, like a tax or a holiday, uh, you get to just do all sorts of things, that everything's legal, uh, which like, you know, I, I watch a YouTube channel called Cinema, Cinema Sins, which like takes all the logic and stuff like that and it doesn't make sense. Like, how are you going to murder somebody and then you see their family in the grocery store the next day? It just seems very awkward thing to do. Or, you know, if you steal a car, do you have to register with the DMV the next day? Like, it's, <laughs> it seems really bizarre thing to do. Uh, but it's a terrible movie and I was surprised they made four of these things. But, you know, then I thought of Sharknado and they have six, so... <laughs> It's a nightmare. Okay. But there should be order and authority. 
Uh, I can't imagine living in a scenario like purge or whatever, because if not, people would take it upon themselves to correct the wrongs, and it wouldn't be a never-ending act of revenge. So we are not to pay evil for evil. We're to pray and bless our enemies, because that is part of being us into this calling of being peacemakers. What many find it difficult is that Paul on many occasions appeared to be subverting the Roman ideology. Uh, it almost seems like either he's backpaddling or he's contradicting himself. So let, let's dive into the, uh, the passage, uh, chapter 13, uh, verse 1 through 7 in Romans. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong, do you want to be free from your fear of one in authority? Then do what is right. You will be commanded. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of the possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Now, in verse 2, there's a Greek word in there, antistemi. In NIV, it actually says to rebel, uh, but it can be defined to resist or to oppose. And in other translations, the word resist is actually utilized versus rebel. And I I think it might give you a little bit of a better idea or a different idea uh, to look at it this way. In verse 2, whoever resists against the authority is resisting against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. So the interpretation here is that we must obey all government because it's been ordained by God. And to resist governing authorities is to resist God. So our attorney general is quoting this, interpreting Romans 13 to say, since God has ordained the Trump administration, we should not resist the laws that this administration has been making or enforcing or ordering the Border Patrol or ICE or other law enforcement parties. Here's the irony in this, as Jeff Sessions was quoting this scripture. Uh, this passage, is that this nation itself wouldn't have been birthed if we did not rebel or resist against the, Roman, uh, the, the British Empire. Uh, in 1776, uh, where we declared independence illegally. So those who were loyal to the crown in, in Britain quoted Romans 13, as well as those in the British Empire, should we have been obedient to the law at the time? And if that's your interpretation, then those who resisted the governing authority at the time, which was Britain, you were going against God. That's the idea. But then you have to also think about other uh, political parties or other uh, nations. Uh, Think about the Third Reich or the Nazi Germany or North Korea or Iran or some of the numerous nations uh, with different political leaders. Some are evil uh, political leaders that have killed millions of their own people. What What about Nero? Uh, didn't he persecute Christians at the time uh, and, and grotesquely murder them? And so we'll actually get into that. The passage here needs to be understood with other passages 
And in the context of the entire letter, as well as the context of their community, their political landscape, uh, the situation at the time, and it's really tough to take this out and just try to apply it across the board. So this even actually sounds contrary to Paul's experience. We read in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 32 to 33, uh, he talks about how he escaped uh, under a rule in Damascus, the governing under King Aretas had the city of the Messenes guarded in order to arrest me. But I was lowered in a basket from window in a wall and slipped through his hands. Um, in Acts chapter 5, where the apostles were persecuted for preaching the gospel, they were given strict orders uh, not to teach in Jesus' name. And Peter and the apostles resisted and replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. Beyond that, I mean, there's countless times that the early disciples uh, went against a ruling authority and again and again to the point of being jailed, beaten, and executed in the most horrific way possible. So how should we read Romans 13? Um, So here's a little bit of a context as we dive into this. About a decade or so earlier, uh, before Paul wrote this letter, in Rome, the Jewish population was growing. Um, At the same time, the Jewish population who also believed that Jesus was the promised Messiah was growing as well. Uh, It it was still largely viewed uh, that Christians was a sort of a Jewish sect. And and possibly what would happen is there was infighting and riots and tensions between the Jews and Jews who believed Jesus was the promised Messiah. We see in Acts chapter 18, verse 1 through 2, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native to Pontus, who had recently come from Italy uh, with his wife Priscilla because Claudius has ordered all Jews to leave Rome. So this was in about 40s or so. Jews were expelled by Claudius and prohibited meeting in synagogues. And when Jews were returning to Rome, the church there possibly had been more Gentile because all the other Jews were sort of ordered to leave. Uh, So some may consider what Paul was saying as more of a heavy-handed rhetoric. uh, But I think what he was trying to do was sort of be pragmatic for the good of the community. Because Paul himself would not bow to Caesar. He was resisting the governing authorities, and he continued to declare Jesus Lord, which was heavily political. But here's the thing. He was still sensitive to the situation, to the event, uh, when writing this, uh, which was possibly about a decade or so after Jews were expelled from Rome. And it's also possible that he wrote this as sort of a preemptive way to relax any feelings of any uprising that might have been boiling up. He was trying to calm them down. So here's this tension. The Jewish people, not all, but many were concerned of public opinion, especially in Rome. Uh, Many viewed Christians as uh, another sect of uh, Judaism. Uh, So Christians actually had even more of a reason to be cautious. And remember, they weren't like the others in the empire. They did not follow the Roman rituals. They did not bow to Caesar. Some scholars even say some of the early Jewish Christians refused to pay taxes, which explains some of the reasons why Paul actually included that in the passage. So there is this continuation uh, of thought from chapter 12 to verse 13 in terms of living in peace with everyone, especially going from the idea of not taking revenge because God will bring justice for himself in chapter 2, verse 19. Instead, we're to feed our enemy if they're hungry or, or give them something to drink if they are thirsty. And this is to remind them that the God is the ultimate judge and, and he has the final and the greatest authority. 
So chapter 13 should be looked as a way to live in peace even with the government. It's also particularly crucial for the Jewish followers. It's important to note that Paul meant for this passage to the church of the Roman, uh, Rome in their context. And, and I believe as you look into this, you can tell this is more of an instructional uh, note for the church community at the time. Now, here's the other thing. Nero at this time didn't seem like he was too bad of a guy. He was still new on the job. He was fresh. And, and, and he was actually even popular in some parts of the empire. Uh, and many felt that his rule looked promising. He was not going crazy. He was not burning uh, uh, Christians, uh, feeding them to wild animals. That was, that was later. So the thought was, it's more beneficial to work with the Roman Empire and the system than go against it. And, and if Paul wrote this during the time of Nero's targeted persecution of the time, I think there's a good chance he probably wrote this differently, worded it differently. Maybe he wouldn't have talked about paying taxes and all that. So there is some wisdom aspect, I think, to this from Paul, that during the specific geopolitical religious landscape, he was saying, this may be the wise thing to do for you in your community. Not only that, it may help to gain momentum for the church in Rome. And I think Paul understood this. So within that situation, both politically and religiously, Paul was trying to be pragmatic. Now, while saying that, It still doesn't take away uh, from what Paul is actually saying, that God placed those authorities, that he ordained them, and and that were instituted by God. And here's the issue with the passage. It actually conflicts with what we know and understand regarding the gospel and governments throughout history. Uh, It conflicts also with the letter of Romans itself in the earlier chapters of uh, 1 through 7 or 1 through 8, where Paul talks about how we're to subject to the power of sin, who, who does not do what is right, who may desire to do good but continues to do evil. And so I think it is a tough job, Paul, to sort of reconcile these two statements of rulers and the power of sin. Uh, We have Beverly Gaventa, who is a uh, New Testament scholar. She says, his concern is not only with the fragile communities from human rulers, but what he fears they would do to themselves. If they make the rulers into the enemy, Paul is not only trying to protect the community from outsiders, the human rulers, but also from themselves and their own proclivity to hubris and judgment. Here's what we need to know. Paul is trying to strengthen this fragile and fragmented church community in Rome. There's division. There's infighting between the Jews, uh, believers, and the Gentile believers. And, and Beverly is trying to make the argument that he is trying to promote corporate good. So in some ways, uh, he's stating that this was a way of protecting these communities, not just from others, but to help themselves, to protect from themselves. Some scholars actually argue that Paul might have believed Roman believers might have had a a tax revolt in their hand. So I think that's where Paul's concern was as well regarding that type of attitude and the potential action which could have serious repercussion. And so Paul is urging them to pay taxes, respect the governing authority. And and this passage was meant for the struggling community of believers and, and not for the ruling authority. I think that we do have to take that into account. It was an address to the ruling governing authority. It was meant for them. It was meant for the people uh, in the church of Rome. So regarding the authority issue, Paul is saying here, which is that all authority is from God. Uh, we have uh, on the slide Sarah Lancaster, uh, a 
a theologian, and in her uh, Romans commentary, she says, if every person is to be subject to the authority of the government because it is under the authority of God, and if any who resists will stand under judgment, then the empire itself stands under God's judgment. And then she continues on to say, the followers of Jesus may live peacefully in the empire, knowing that submitting to its authority, they're really submitting to the authority of God. Now, many think Romans is about individual salvation and how to achieve it. However, once you step back and understand its context, it's much more about how we do church and how we are to be a community. He's writing to this dysfunctional family in Rome, uh, known as the Roman church, that is made of ethnic Jews and believing Gentiles and all the tensions that come with it. Here's sort of new believers who are Gentiles and the Jewish who, who is sort of, you know, the seniors, I guess, in the class. Uh, putting pressure on the, on, on the, uh, the newly converted uh, Christians. And so he is, Paul is addressing them as a community under the title of people of God. Some are ethnically Jewish, while others are you know, maybe gen, uh, just new Gentiles practicing Jewish ways from circumcision to dietary rules, you know, what, they, what they should eat or not shouldn't eat. And, and they may be... Some of these guys, some of these Gentiles may have been participating in the Roman Empire system. And Paul's letting them know, such as paying taxes, showing respect, that they are not dishonoring God by doing it. Because there might have been Gentiles within that community that held position within the Roman Empire. And he had to reassure them that they could continue on uh, without the feeling of guilt. And he is telling them... By saying that all authority is from God. That while Roman government may not be all it's cracked up up to be, that they're ultimately obeying God and not the Roman Empire. All right, now there's the other side to this. If the government is not behaving properly, God is the ultimate authority who will judge the governments and nations accordingly. Which is actually not a new idea. You see this in Isaiah chapter 45. You see this in Jeremiah chapter 25 and, and Daniel's. And, and even in John chapter 19, we hear uh, where, where Jesus is sort of uh, under sentencing uh, by the ruling authority. Jesus answers, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is of a greater sin. So... But how do we reconcile this with bad rulers and terrible political authorities? If we're saying it's from God, is he ultimately also responsible? Attorney General is actually correct, I believe, on uh, that law and order is good. That, that all authority is from God. But how these leaders and individuals like you and me um, do with that authority is up to us. God is the source of the authority, but he is not the source of the decisions that we make with that authority. And so God's ordering powers is also different from the ordaining powers. The nation itself may fall from ideals of God, of what God thought would be best, and his will. However, he is able to bring purpose from even the most chaotic and destructive of nations and empires. To bring beauty from ugliness of some countries. Because he is redemptive, he is redeeming. I mean, think of this way. In an individual level, we understand God doesn't throw away someone, he or she, because they're broken, right? He will work to heal and redeem. 
And at the same time for states, he will bring judgments, but he will use the powers that exist to bring his ultimate purpose and beauty despite how much us or the nations screw up. He will bring purpose out of chaos. All right, so there is a lot of layers to this passage, but we should not lose focus on the big picture, which is our own calling as a church, and that we should not confuse it with the call of the government. We are called to love the stranger without discrimination, especially to those who may be considered the other. Uh, even in Romans 12, uh, the chapter right before 13 was about love and sacrifice. In, in verse uh, uh, 8 through 10, right afterwards, it says, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuity, continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others hath fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Right? If, if, if Attorney General Jeff Sessions continued to read on to the passages, just feel a little bit. Just be a little patient. It's going somewhere. Uh, We see this in Leviticus chapter 19. When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as a native born. Uh, Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. We see in Ezekiel chapter 22, I don't have it up there, but it's about not mistreating and wrong, doing wrong to the aliens and the foreigners in the land. Do not do this to others, uh, God continues to tell them. And, and, you know, a lot of people don't think about this, but a lot of the judgments we see in Old Testament regarding nations usually has to do with unfair treatment of the authorities to the oppressed, to the weak and the destitute and the outcast. Uh, we see in Hebrews chapter 13, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. In Matthew chapter 25, uh, for I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And think about baby Jesus, Mary and Joseph, uh, having to flee because there is a a violence towards the Jewish baby males um, at the time. And so here's what we should not do in these situations. We should not use the Bible to hurt the other. We have weaponized passages that we've cherry-picked and we take it out of the context to further marginalize those who are already oppressed. Similarly, uh, you know, how historically, even now, with Christians in power, we weaponize the Bible to hurt the other. For those who do not believe, for those who are foreigners, those who are minorities, to the divorcees, to the homosexuals, to those who are claiming refugees, to those who are practicing Islam, and so on and so on, and it should not be. We as followers of Jesus should not use the Bible or even as Americans, the Constitution, to hurt the other. We learn throughout history, the Bible can be a powerful weapon in the hands of a coercive power and we should learn from that lesson. 
Our, my, my oldest um, had a recurring nightmare this week. He uh, had a dream that the zombies were coming to get him. And uh, I try to comfort him with logic, but I'm very low in the uh, emotional intelligence. And uh, I'm like, listen, uh, zombies are not real, but if they are, they'll bite you and you become a zombie and that's it. You don't have to worry. And he just like looked at me for a second and just burst out crying. And I was I just like, no, I was just, okay, I take that back. I, take, I just held him. I take that back. Um, I'm a terrible, terrible parent. Okay. All of us as parents can sort of identify with this experience where your child yells and screams in the middle of the night. And, and you, you know, most of the time you hope it's just a nightmare or whatnot and that nothing seriously bad is happening. Imagine that scenario, but you have no idea where that child is. You, you can't even comfort them. You don't even have an idea if they're sleeping or not sleeping or if they're eating right or doing whatever. And so it just boggles my mind that this policy of separating families to use as a deterrent, I, what's so Christian about that? It sounds like you're in a hostile enemy territory. It sounds like you're creating unnecessary stress on the families and children. And, and thank God they stopped executing this policy. But now it, lo- it looks like they lost track of some of the parents. Some of the parents were deported already while the kids are still here. Uh, they can't even count for all the children that are missing or accounted for. You reunited. Uh, so it, I don't know all the details, but it sounds like a mess. The current reality is, I think, there is these countries, and, 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 you know, it's not even mostly Mexicans. It's mostly from Central America, coming up from El Salvador and Guatemala. And a lot of these countries have been savaged by civil war and gang violence. And, and these countries were actually in the level three status in travel ban for us. I mean, we can travel there, but it's like, please reconsider travel. Um, so it, it's a tough life down there. And for you as a, as a parent or in the family, and you think about your loved ones, if there is an option that a promise of a future life, because you know for a fact here, you might not have a future, you would take that opportunity. You would take that chance, even though you don't, you don't know if it's certain or not. Let me end with this. In the midst of the Roman Empire, where you hear Caesar is Lord, Caesar is Lord, you have to reply, Caesar is Lord indeed. Right? That's what you have to do. They talked about the birth of Caesar and that the Savior was born, and they called this the good news. So to say Jesus is Lord was a subversive claim and a nonviolent resistance toward the empire. And by the way, it's not just the empire, but what's behind it, the principalities behind it, and the spirit behind it of this world. It's tough to say, I have my allegiance to God and country, because you can't have two masters. You can't have divided loyalty. And so let me remind you that we have singular loyalty, that is to Jesus Christ and his kingdom, which is here and now and yet to come. We are citizens of the kingdom of God, and where it's possible, by the sacrifice of the cross. So our one life is to follow Jesus, one loyalty, one kingdom, 
and we are not to veer away uh, from other ways of life. Jesus is the one who redeemed us and freed us, and we are to follow him. It's not bad to have opinion regarding what the government should do and the policies and immigration and all that. Those are all legitimate. Go ahead and vote and be you know, affiliated to a party and whatnot. However, do not let that compromise you as a citizen of the kingdom of God. Do not let your opinion of what the government should do compromise you from the following of the ways of Jesus. All of us have lenses, and I think we should look through the lens of the gospel and the love of Christ, not by earthly kingdoms and nations. That means we should look at the others, the undocumented immigrants and the others as people who are loved by God, fellow children of God, and that Jesus has made a sacrifice for them as well. Our calling is love. It doesn't matter what they are, where they're from, what their label is. We're called to enter into the lives of others. That's what it means to incarnate into what Jesus was doing as he became a missionary down to us. We are to enter into the lives of others as well, to strangers, and to speak for those who don't have a voice. Because everyone is worth caring about. It's not about us trying to rule or run the world. But to speak out and say this is wrong. To sacrifice for others as Jesus sacrificed for us and for them. So the tension should always be there in terms of saying no to the empire and all its temptations of self-preservation, of security, of power. As those who follow Jesus, when it comes to the policies of the empire, however, it should not manifest in anger and hostility. What I'm trying to say is that we should not be adding fuel to the fire Uh, On Facebook or social media or whatever, we are not, or dinner tables with your family, we're not to add to the hostility and divisiveness in our community, in our cities, and so on. So the call is for us to resist a nonviolent resistance to show that that is aligned with the kingdom of God. Anything else that may be considered civic duty, that's totally up to your conscience. So the question for the Rome, uh, the Church of Rome was this. Understanding the fallenness of the Roman Empire, how would they as people committed to Jesus follow through with loving their neighbor? And for us, we should understand the fallenness of the American Empire and the world around it. And how would we as people committed to Jesus follow through with loving our neighbor? As we get ready for communion, allow me to say this. God loves you. God loves your neighbors in this globe village. Um, God loves the children and the parents. As you take communion, uh, remember the reality of Jesus' body broken for you and poured out for you, the blood poured out for you. But not only for you, but for others. Not to think of it in a selfish way and just me, but to think that it was broken and poured out for others in the world So we do this in the memory of his sacrifice. Um, And may the kingdom of God and hope of Jesus Christ be uh, real in your life. If you want to take some time to pray, uh, right out this door on the left, there is a a prayer room and someone will be there to uh, pray for you. Let's pray. God, I pray, O Father, that as we take communion, we sense your love embracing us and holding us. And that we may be able to reflect that love 
to the world as your icons, as we carry your image into the world, to love you and to love my neighbor as well. Help us, Father, uh, from false religion and to be centered in what is pure and what is loving. In the name of Jesus, amen.